I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today's a particularly exciting day for me because we have as our guests, Kenny and Chelsea Miglarelli, a dynamic duo of father. And Chelsea is literally the farmer's daughter. And we're going to talk about agriculture uh, in writ large, but also here in the Hudson Valley where we all live. That's how I got to know Kenny and Chelsea originally. And that's why I'm really excited to have them here because we can talk about food, agriculture, family, nature, climate in the abstract. But when you actually know the farmers and you go to their farm stands, it's a whole different story, much more meaningful. So Kenny and Chelsea, welcome to The Caring Economy. Again, we're north of New York, about 100 miles in the Hudson Valley, Rhinebeck, Red Hook area. These two, father and daughter, are really helping to shape the agricultural landscape and sustainability here. So today in our episode, we're going to have the privilege of talking about both Kenny, the father, um, I think second generation farmer, but we'll come back to that, not clear. And then his daughter, Chelsea, who's also grown up on the farm and working uh, in the space. But um, the legacy is real. It began in, eight, in 1933 with Kenny's family uh, cultivating fruits and vegetables and fertile soils here in the northern Dutchess County area of the Hudson Valley. And he's kept that going. But then meanwhile, Chelsea is working for the Farm Service Agency. She's the county executive director for not one, not two, but three counties, as I understand it, Chelsea, Putnam, Westchester, and Dutchess. So welcome to the caring economy. Did I get that right, guys? I also cover Ulster. Four counties. Yeah, actually. (laughs) Your second, third generation county? Well, I'm third generation in the United States. Well, let's start right there. Take us back. So tell us how the Migarellis came to the United States and how agriculture came with you. Or you got into uh, well, it was my dad's uh, father and and my grandmother, and they started farming in the Bronx in the early thirties. Mm-hmm. And the first uh, year, uh, I mean, when he came from Italy, he worked on the Holland Tunnel, and mm-hmm. then he worked on a farm, uh, Rus- Ruster Farm, I believe my dad said, and uh, he saved up enough money to buy a few lots and a lot down in the Bronx was 25 feet by 100 feet. Uh-huh. And there was a shack on that on that lot, one one lot. And he uh, he broke ground with a shovel the first year and uh, and started growing vegetables. And and he started uh, pedaling up and down the streets with a push cart. And so the story goes, he came back with 10 or 12 dollars in his pocket, which was a lot of money when people were making a dollar a day during that depression time. And that kind of started the farm and it kind of kept growing from there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most people listening to this podcast anywhere in the, um, in the New York area will know you because they probably have brought produce from a Miglarelli purveyor. Uh, more specifically, I believe you are in uh, at least probably a dozen farmer markets and uh, stands in this area, right? From New York City's Union Square up to the Bronx, and here to the uh, the Hudson Valley. Is that fair? Yeah, we, we're actually doing right now uh, eight farmers markets a week, six in New York City and then Kingston and Rhinebeck. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, three roadside stands. Mm-hmm. And across New York, you're not just like with precious people in the West Village. You're working with the Bronx and you're up in Harlem and other places, right? Yeah, we're, yep. And I started the markets in 82. So the first markets we started was Kings Plaza, 
at the all, all the way at the end of Flatbush Air, Air, uh, Avenue in the Bronx. Oh, uh -huh. sorry, in Brooklyn, and then uh, Tompkins Square, and then 175th Street up at uh, near Spanish Harlem. And then at the end of that year, I I began doing Union Square at 14th Street. And, and what was the incentive? Did you see there was demand, or it was underserved, or you just saw big dollar signs, or how did you go back to the to the city? Uh, we were ready to go out of business. Okay. Uh, we weren't doing well financially, and my mom's good friend uh, kept bugging us to, about these markets in the city, which began in 1976. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in the winter, in December of 81, at the end of that season, uh, we were still in the red. And I had a conversation with Barry Benepe, who was the director of Green Market, who actually, between him and Bob Lewis, who worked for Aga Markets, they were the ones who uh, got the markets uh, beginning. Okay. And then uh, we started in 82, June 12, 1982 was my first farmer's market. It also was the No, nu no Nukes concert in New York City. So the stars aligned for awareness around <laughs> the planet and people, and you were there. I'm curious, what was the marketing strategy before then, Dad? It was just pick your own, right? Well, we had pick your own, but the, mostly it was wholesale. We were wholesaling in uh, the Hunts Point and Boston markets, and we were going up to Menands also. But but the returns were, were very nominal, so uh, it wasn't profitable. So how is it that, so now it seems like the, it's interesting that you went back to the city to save the company in a sense. So you hit the trend lines just about right. And now we see farmers markets all around the, the country, all around the world. But is it still the better way to be, do you think, Kenny? Or because you've opened up a lot of smaller stands up here in the in the neighborhood of the Hudson Valley as well. Absolutely. We've completed our 42nd year at the green market. And and I don't know why, but this year my sales at the markets were up a good 30%. Wow. So they're, they're doing very well. And uh, I called the one at Union Square my mortgage killer. <laughs> yeah, but Union Square is like the unicorn. There are so many farmers markets in smaller areas. And a lot of the time, there's not the foot traffic there. Yeah. You know, it um, is an oversaturation, I think, in some areas. It, it's a popular one, and there are popular ones throughout the state. but. They say on a busy Saturday, 100,000 people walk through Union Square Market. I'm sure. Wow. Chelsea, the farmer's daughter, you grew up working on the farm, but now, uh, and you're still obviously very much in sync with your dad, but you've been with the um, the FSA for, I think, what, four years now? Is that right? Yeah, a little under, but um, yeah, just about four years. And yeah, I worked for my, for my dad up until I went to school, basically. Yeah. And I met you working in restaurants. So of course, you meet chefs when you work at, you know, farm stands. So yeah. I always worked on farms and in farm stands, basically up until I worked at the Farm Service Agency. Yeah. So tell our listeners about the the FSA and what you do, because as I understand it, you're really you're a source of income or financing for aspiring farmers or established farmers, but also you've got you've got the credibility, you've got the DNA, you know what farming takes. Yeah. It can't just be a fad, right? Like, oh, we want to leave because of 9-11 or COVID and raise our kids in a 
a country setting and live a bucolic life. I would imagine there's a lot of naivete with some people who come up to farm and you're a good, oh, you're a good filter yeah. to recognize that, no? You can't say that all beginning farmers are going to fail. You know, there's some that do really great. And then there's some that realize that it's a lot more work and it's a lot harder and they didn't have quite as much funds as they, as they thought they did. Um, so you see both, especially being so close to New York City, we uh -huh. do see a lot of um, people coming up. They fully jump into it maybe before working on a farm or getting the experience they need to like learn how to be successful before they do it. Uh, Kenny, you brought so many young people into farming and, and giving them employment. Um, you've kept the farm going. You even had a drastic fire last year that did a lot of destruction, but you've kept it going, thank God. How, how do you find and groom talent for agriculture in the Northeast? And how do you keep it real and stay happy <laughs> yeah that's a tough one you know uh 95 of my production help is hispanic workers mm -hmm. uh, i've tried to recruit uh americans uh and have been unsuccessful i i put an ad in uh, uh the local school because usually around May, I start getting phone calls from parents wanting their kids to work on the farm. And my first question to them is, why aren't your kids calling me to work on the farm? Because I understand the point. <laughs> I want their kids sitting around the house playing video games all summer. And uh, they want to see them do something constructive and, and of value. So, uh, you know, we put a, couple, a few times I put an ad in the, in the local uh, high school and uh, the one year we had I believe it was eight or ten kids from you know they had to get their working papers from 15 16 17 and we we go through orientation and then when school is done I asked them to come in at eight o'clock and work only to 12 so a four hour maybe four or five hour day not to burn them out and I understand they They've no, never done physical work. And then I, I'll give them tasks that are the easiest tasks I can find on the farm. <laughs> and the first week I lost 50% of the kids. Mm. I mean, I actually the first two or three days I, I lost the 50% of the kids. And then after a week, I, I think that year we had one or two kids stick with it for like a few weeks. And then there was one that stayed to the end of the summer. And then I didn't see him again. So it's it's hard trying to get Americans to work on farms. Yeah. And what do you pay? Uh, minimum wage. You know, okay. I mean, you know, and that's, you know, I, I think minimum wage right now is $15. And that's that's quite a bit for a kid who, uh, for a child who knows nothing about physical work. And, you know, you have to bring them around to, to where they're going to be productive. I took minimum wage when I was entering the workforce, and I also called the employer to get the job. Same. <laughs> so Same. I, you all have to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us, Chelsea, how is it with your peer group? How old are you now? I'm 33, actually. So 33 and younger. How, how, what's going to happen? How do they get the earning bug, or do they? I don't know. It's a huge issue that I'm seeing across the board with people who don't want to take over the family farm because it's a lot of stress. 
And especially with the new labor laws coming into place in New York, it's not the best place to, you know, have a, a farm right now. There's a lot of people who are afraid of that um, coming into play and who are downsizing. Um, actually, my dad could probably tell you more about that. Children from school, they could only work so many hours a day or a week. And you have to pay this minimum. The minimum wage is the hardest thing. You know, New York State is going to slowly push it to the $20 an hour, which I don't have a problem with, especially if it's some, you know, uh, people who have to rent and pay utilities. They need to make 20. They need to make $25 an hour. You know, living wage. Uh, you know, as far as my workers, which are predominantly. You offer housing for your employees. What they're doing with overtime, and now it's, what is it, 50 hours with yeah. the overtime? They knocked it down to 56. Every 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 other year, it's going to drop four, four hours. So we have to pay time and a half now. Okay. So, uh, you know, as far as young uh, uh, children out of uh, kids out of uh, the high school, you know, when the minimum wage does go to $20 an hour, let's say, it's going to be hard for me to pay somebody with no experience $20 an hour uh it, it, you know, it, it takes weeks for them to become productive for, for an operation. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But the time and a half is going to be uh, a real struggle with a lot of farms. And yeah. it's going to eventually go to 40, uh, 40 hours uh, work week like everybody else. Yeah, fascinating. And, well, I think what you're describing is not unique to agriculture. Uh, we've had a similar you know, challenge through the years to help with us around the house. And things that I would have jumped to do as a kid from shovel snow, clear trails, babysit. Chelsea, what are the 20-somethings doing at Red Hook now for income? I've got to say, whenever people say they can't find a job, it's just so comical to me because they are out there. And I have never, ever in my entire life had a, an issue finding a job or staying there and having a good relationship with my employers. Probably because I grew up on a farm and my dad was probably the most... I don't want to say difficult boss, but he, he, he trained us up good. So yeah. going from there, it was really nice entering into the workforce, but I don't want to say that the, it's not out there with the younger kids, but I just feel like playing outside in the woods all day doesn't happen anymore. Like I, I got to do that as a kid playing in mud puddles, you know, getting dirty. It's, Chelsea. I think I, I'm happy to grow up at that time. On the caring economy, we're having a fun time here with Kenny Migarelli and his daughter, Chelsea, literally the farmer's daughter. Kenny is one of the biggest purveyors of produce to the farmer's markets across the New York City area. His Migarelli farm products are known to many of us, and you probably have bought it if you live in the tri-state area. And then Chelsea works for the FSA. The um, She's the county executive director for the um, Farm Service Agency, helping to finance farmers. Can you myth bust for us a bit? What are what are some of the the highs and joys of farming that people just don't really realize? And then conversely, what are kind of like the oh, oh didn't see that one coming? Chelsea, what's your insight? Probably working outside and also working outside because when it's a nice day and it's beautiful out, it's ah, you know, it's the best feeling world but then when it's raining for a week and you have to be outside um, <laughs> I also like the pace of it I really enjoy the pace of farming uh -huh. uh, once once the weather is nice you just hit the ground running
thing, basically. Or watching a crop grow, you know, uh, plant, you know, seeding a crop and having it come to fruition and, and harvest and, and having customers purchase, you know, that's the high. Below, uh, as Chelsea said, the weather mm. uh, is all over the place. So, you know, if it's a rainy day and we have to pick a load for the market, it, you know, the crew goes out with rain gear and, and picks the load. And uh, uh, the other lows are, uh, you know, disease and insect pressures and, and animals. Mm. I have trouble with deer and, and rabbits and woodchucks. So, mm. you know, there's a lot of facets that keep, you know, that affect your profitability. Do you think, Kenny, um, actually both of you could answer this, the life of a farmer in upstate New York compared to, say, the life of a farmer in Kansas or California, there got to be some consistencies, but what are, what are, is there anything that's wildly different for you versus your peers in other states? Within New York, there's a huge difference because down here, it's much smaller acreage. And even in other parts of New York State, there's like much larger farms where it's thousands of acres. I mean, uh, you know, in the Midwest, you got grain farmers. That's a lot. That's a different type of farming than, you know, mm. less inputs, less, you know, there's a lot of downtime. Uh, as far as like California, which is an, is is like Mecca of, of, of farming. I mean, you know, people think I'm large. I grow now 200 acres of vegetables. I visited a 20,000 acre uh, vegetable operation in California, which was still family run. Wow. So uh, to see that size operation, it's a whole different, you know, middle management, you know, workforce, uh, and and they can actually grow product less expensive than we can in New York. Mm -hmm. Can you say um, a little bit about family farm, family-owned farms versus big ag, and and maybe what you're seeing or what we need I'm to be wary of? Sure about big ag. I mean, I I believe. Most farms I know, you know, they started out small and they, they grew their operation. Like the, the Rigo brothers in California, I think they're even doing like 30 or 40,000 acres and it's still a family owned mm -hmm. operation. And, uh, you know, that kind of operation, they're going to, uh, what I see, if we're going to talk about a little bit of the future of agriculture, is AI Definitely. is going to be a big part of agriculture in the coming decades. An operation that's grown twenty or thirty thousand acres of product are going to be able to afford those machines that that eliminate the handwork that that farming you know needs at this time. With my operation, I'm not going to be able to afford those, so I'm I'm hoping that the operation can continue because my costs of production are going to be higher than than the larger farms that are moving to AI. So I, we will we'll need to get a higher price for my product because of the cost of production. So um, hopefully the, the market stays strong and people are willing to pay more for local product. So the AI thing is fascinating. I've taught some courses in it for social impact. When you say AI, do you mean, for example, irrigation will be so micro-tuned that it saves money and crops? Or do you mean uh, that robots will replace migrant labor or well uh jen 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 jennifer howland who you interviewed yep. uh, last yep. year her and i went to uh 
a fruit tour in Bolzano, Italy in November of 2022. And I saw two or three prototypes of apple harvesting machines. So the future with AI is going to be more hands-on uh, as far as actually picking a product. Being picked, yeah. So, I mean, and it's going to be the larger farms that benefit from those, from that industry. So um, who, who are your friends in the corporate world? Who, who actually cares about the smaller fries and, and fish or whatever your metaphor is? Or is, uh, are you kind of out on your own? Uh, well, New York State and, you know, one thing for the, uh, it's the people that shop at the, at the markets and stand. You yeah. know, whether it's mine or, you know, Montgomery Place or Kiseki or Greg Farm that they're supporting these, this type of farm. Now they, you know, hopefully they understand that our cost of production is a lot higher. They understand that when they support these farms, they're they're supporting open space and the preservation of farmland. So uh, those are our friends. And then uh, things like uh, New York State. It started in Massachusetts. Uh, the FMNP coupons, mm -hmm. farmer market uh, uh, food coupons, and health bucks which are distributed to single moms or elderly people with, you know, living on social security. That's been a big help. I think last year we probably received over $150,000 in coupons and mm -hmm. those coupons are given to those people and they mm -hmm. have to, and they could, they can only use them at uh, farmer's markets. And I think now farm stands and they could only buy raw fruits and vegetables. They can't even buy my cider or buy a chicken. It's strictly fruits and vegetables. Yeah. That's great. That's a great program because it's targeting farms and it's targeting people who are less fortunate that, that need to eat well. But Kenny, you've touched on something else I want to ask you about. You've always been quite the entrepreneur from what I can tell. Um, so you talk about cider. I think you figured out how to farm year round in a sense, right? You might not be growing crops in, say, February, but you've got, you're making tomato sauces or soups and other things, right? So you, 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 you sort of innovated that, didn't you? Or is that what all the smaller farmers do now? Yeah, I think other farms have also. But, yeah, we make cider 52 weeks out of, out of the year. And then, you know, we have long storage apples and pears. And I have, you know, I have uh, winter carrots. So uh, during the winter time, obviously, the sales are low, but we keep the, we keep the crew. I have five, six people are pruning trees this time of the year. They'll prune for the next three months. So uh, the operation can generate enough money to pay payroll and keep the lights on and so forth. So, And, and what, are the, what are some of the trends you're seeing in terms of just food stuffs? I mean, people want, is kale still hot or is kale peaked? And now we're on to mandolin yeah. greens. What's going on in the markets? I don't know. I'm pretty consistent with what I grow. I haven't changed much in the last 10 years. You know, maybe that's good good and bad, but <laughs> showed this year that our sales were so strong that I'm doing the, the right thing. But yeah, kale is still a very yeah. thought after, you know, for cooking yeah. in Chelsea loves to make salad. My uncle helped uh my dad make these like spinners for it um out of washing machines. He's an engineer and it gets it so dry and so somebody doesn't have to like spin it, but they're clean. They're clean, obviously, but I just love the innovation. And it's something I actually love seeing, like with my job is just hearing all the stuff people do to, you know, work with what they've got and make their businesses survive. 
Did so, you do you finance everything, including like say seeds and irrigation equipment? Do you do computers? How, how does how does the money roll out to your your recipients? So our programs are basically based from the farm bill, which is passed every four years, and it's various programs. Like there's lending for farmers, so you know we have to put on our loan hat sometimes, and then we have crop insurance um, as well. Um, there's price support programs and uh, ad hoc so programs in response to something that's happened. Like, I don't know, this past year it rained a lot. Uh, it really affected a lot of fruit growers. Um, and there was actually a pretty severe freeze last February and May that affected them. So we have a, we'll probably have a program rolling out next year for that, like those disasters. Um, and like last in 2022, there was that severe drought. So a pro program came out to assist with people who had crop losses due to that drought. It never gets boring. That's for sure. You sound like you're giving a little bit of hope in a world of climate change and, 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 you know, climate crises. What's your prognosis, Chelsea, for sustainability in agriculture? Our agency specifically helps more of like the price support. But our sister agency, who we work, it's pretty much the only other USDA agency we work closely with. It's Natural Resources and Conservation Services. Um, and yeah, we, we do like all of their eligibility paperwork for all of their participants. And they do things like easements on land, or they do, they have this program called eQuip that can offer assistance for irrigation or just protecting the resources of our country. And they've gotten double, or they're getting double the funding moving forward. Um, so you can really see that we have an administration that wants to pour money into that right now. So they're getting a lot of funding for that right now. Can be more for homeowners as well. Like with the Farm Service Agency, our participants are actively farming. To answer your question before, you know, who's going to take over the next generation is not clear in a lot of them. I would say that that's kind of something sad to watch is they don't know who's going to take over, you know, a farm that's been in the family for multiple generations. But yeah. Kenny, the same question for you, sustainability, climate change um, in your in your career. What what's held steady and what do you find disturbing in terms of the climate and the way you have to farm? I don't know if a lot's changed, but it seems like our season has extended from both ends. Mm -hmm. We were able to plant earlier, and here we are almost Christmas, and I'm still picking a dozen different greens out in the field. Wow. So, uh, we're having a, a really good uh, December sales-wise because I still have product besides apples and pears and cider and, and loose carrots. Mm -hmm. uh, in that respect, uh, it's not a terrible thing. Uh, as far as the weather, uh, I'm all set up to irrigate. So if we head into a drought period, I, I have enough water to keep my crops, you know, growing healthy and, and doing well. And this this was a year that was excess water, excessive amount of water. So uh, a lot of the ground I have my vegetables on is all sandy, gravelly soil. So actually we did not so bad with the excess rain. I did have some rot and some um, some loss, but not 
devastating. Yeah. And what about um, infestations um, with climate change? Are you seeing new types of invasive species coming up, or uh, the only new insects the, the last decade? We've gotten a half a dozen new insects from Asia, huh. like the lantern bugs. Lantern bugs, the stink bugs, the um, you know, there's about a half a dozen. So uh, they're they're getting to be a challenge. Uh, yeah, but I don't think it's going to change, right? If anything, we're going to get more of these micro bursts and things. But I am encouraged to hear you say, Kenny, that you know, touch wood, a lot of things have gone all right. You know, to be able to do longer seasonal growing is not necessarily a bad thing. These extreme storms and these sudden frosts, you know, we hit, our peaches didn't come this year because we had one little shock of a freeze in the spring and then that was that. So, but we're one tree, right? You've got a whole set of acres. I mean, the Northeast, uh, we're, I think we're pretty protected in a lot of ways. When hurricanes do come this way, you know, we're not, we don't get the brunt of it the way the South gets it or, you know, I mean, uh, or California with, uh, you know, I mean, they had, I, I, they had a lot of snowpack last winter, so they're doing actually pretty good. But, you know, they were in like a 15 or 20 year drought yeah. and uh, limited on how much irrigation water they could receive. Yeah. And then they had those atmospheric rivers that were coming in all last last year. So that was quite dramatic. So um, I have the same last question for each of you, which is the same last question I ask all of my guests, which is, and we'll start with the ladies first, um, pearls of wisdom, lessons learned in life, how you, how you found your purpose in your career and what you might suggest to either someone who's young and starting out in his or her career, or someone who's maybe older and disrupted and wants to find a new way forward. So Chelsea Miglarelli, pearls of wisdom for career and life. You just got to get out there and start working, start living it. You might think you want to do something, but I think it's something that people don't often do before going for like an education is actually getting in the field and seeing how they actually like it. Um, so I think that's pretty important. Um, and is it just about everything or is this about farming specifically? Both, but it's an interesting metaphor. Right? You got to get out there and put a stake in the ground. That could be for farming, but that's also for life, I think. It <laughs> right? I think every generation says, oh, these young generations, there's nothing good coming up, but there's good in it. And there are a lot of like smart, innovative people. So I have hope. And Kenny, the wise farmer, what, what pearls of wisdom that you've gleaned through the years? Yeah, I just love at a very young age watching a, a a small bean row row and that kind of hooked me and growing i mean that was in the bronx i mean i always wanted to be a baseball player because i love playing baseball and stickball uh -huh. that when we moved up from the bronx i was 10 years old uh i was just hooked on farm all i wanted to do was drive tractors and, and expand you know learn you know i was taught I didn't have to, somebody didn't have to teach me how to drive a standard truck. I knew how to drive it just by watching my dad for days uh -huh. and days, weeks. And so, uh, and then learning from that, living on the farm. And then uh, turning point in my life was going to school. I went to Cobble Skill and I went to Alfred and uh, received two associate's degrees, one in agronomy, the study of soil, and one in ag business. And that, 
I, I just propelled from there. And uh -huh. the college taught me was how much there is to learn and that you never stop learning. And this occupation is uh, not stagnant at all. No. I mean, uh, my manager and I who have a, you know, pesticide license, we go to school. So we go to fruit school. And when I tell people I'm going to fruit school, they're like, you're going to school. <laughs> every year and it's you keep learning and expanding on your knowledge and just just doesn't stop and it and cornell is a great college to you know keep things you know the most innovative ways of of controlling insects and diseases low inputs whenever you can and yeah. so it's just a not stagnant uh, occupation Oh, keep on growing. Yeah, I love the two combined messages to be curious and to keep um, growing and then also to, you know, take others with you, right? Share right. it, play it forward. So, ladies and gentlemen, you've literally heard it from the farmer's daughter and the farmer himself. It's been such a joy today to have Kenny Miglarelli and his daughter, Chelsea Miglarelli. Kenny is, in my mind, the rock star farmer in the Hudson Valley who purveys to all the important markets across the New York tri-state area. You probably had his produce, not even knowing it. So ask for Miglarelli next time you're out at the farm stand. And then there's daughter Chelsea, who is the county executive director. We've learned today, not for one, not two, not three, but four counties in upstate New York, helping to fund farmers, new and old. Chelsea, Kenny, thank you so much. All right, thank you for having me. And Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues. <laughs>